0: Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast, a production of the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education here. Today, uh, we're excited to bring you the first of a new feature that we are calling Getting the Message. As part of this new production of this podcast, uh, these are going to be weekly-ish productions that we will be releasing that are basically the reflection from our Sunday service at 4th Universalist that will then have an addition of a little period of reflection between myself and whoever is uh, preaching that week. This week, we will be having a reflection with our very own Reverend Skylar Vogel, who is our senior pastor at 4th Universalist. Following uh, the message, which will start shortly, we will be diving into a reflection on some of the themes contained in the message. Uh, So stay tuned through the whole podcast for both a chance to listen to the reflection, and then hear our reflection on the reflection and get to uh, dive deeper. And now we can begin with our reflection from Sunday. Now, like many of you, this has
1: been one of the strangest weeks I've lived. The intense emotions, the waiting, the back and forth, a lack of closure finally ending yesterday with the big news. Like many of you, Kristen and I were excited, although nervous, to watch the returns on Tuesday night. We got ready. We ordered Indian food. We cleaned the apartment, helping us stay occupied and work out some of our anxious energy that had nowhere else to go. Um, We watched CNN, which seemed like the most middle of the networks. Um, But even so, they loved playing with our emotions, playing dramatic music that raised your blood pressure, coupled with key race alerts that didn't actually say anything new. After all of that adrenaline pumping excitement, we went to bed around 11, pretty early, when it looked like most of the counters had slowed down and few results were going to come in. But it was clear by that point that the polls were way off again. I went to bed not feeling very good. Sleep was restless, my dreams were melancholy, I had one where I was wandering the streets of my hometown in Wisconsin, completely alone, the streetlights showing some dark bushes and trees. I was trying to understand in my mind what was happening. Awake at various times during the night, I tried to stop myself from spiraling towards worst case scenarios. Emotionally, I knew the race wasn't over, but even so, I felt defeated. Because as Unitarian Universalists, beyond politics and candidates, there are certain things that I have to admit I really want. I want a government that treats people with respect and compassion. I want leaders that I can look up to, knowing that they are at least trying to do what is right, even if I don't agree with them all the time. I want an election where democracy itself doesn't feel like it's at stake, where the opposition isn't the same as an enemy. I want to feel safe around my fellow citizens, that we can agree on basic moral principles, that we are better than the past few years, and that we as a country had come to see that. I know that many of you here on this call, here at 4th Universal, share these wants. And as, as I tossed and I turned on election night, it felt like these desires were being dashed. No matter who won, there would be no clear clear moral consensus, no grand repudiation of the anti-democratic tilt of our government, no great awakening that the cruelty, dishonesty, and baseness of the past four years was intolerable to our collective moral conscience. The race remained close on Tuesday night, and it remains close even now. It has been called. As I imagined what another 4 years might be like, I realized how hard the past few years had already been on me emotionally. The feeling of not understanding my own country or fellow citizens, a feeling like we lived in different worlds. Of having to defend my heart and sanity against nihilistic and malicious gaslighting. Each time another moral line was crossed and it was normalized, my heart ached. I felt worn just thinking of another four years. It is not good for the soul to live in a world that is callous, a world that celebrates cruelty and mocks compassion and gleefully undermines truth. It's exhausting and disheartening. That restless night, I had hoped I would get some relief, that our country would redeem itself and I could go back to believing in it. Part of it is how I was raised as a child, I was taught to believe that our country was good, fundamentally good. The story I told was back in the 90s, our economy was booming, America had just triumphed over the Soviet Union, proving that democracy and capitalism and our values were the best and also going to win the future. It was a time so poised for peace that people spoke to the end of history. I learned growing up that racism had been defeated in the 60s, and we had all learned a lot since then. I learned about recycling, I watched Captain Planet, and I felt sure that we could save the earth. We just gave it a little time. I learned that the American soldiers in the Persian Gulf and Kosovo were there to save lives, to stop genocide, and stop cruel dictators. I learned that drugs were bad. but. If we were strong and we were virtuous, we could just say no and we would be safe. I was taught that America was good and it was getting better. It was all working itself out like it should. On Tuesday night, I realized how comforting this was even if I didn't realize it. It is good to feel like things are working out, to think you know how the world is, how pleased I had been at what it was becoming. I grappled this week with the possibility that this image of America was simply a lie. My hope had been, perhaps naively, that these past four years were an aberration, a blip, a bad dream that we would wake up from, thanks to the inherent goodness of Americans who realized overwhelmingly that something was wrong. My fear was becoming that actually these past few years were what Americans were and really wanted. And that would be our future instead of the future I believed in my entire life. I've heard it said that a religious experience, that it happens when the world you dream about, you yearn for, you believe in, aligns with how the world actually is. It's when our hopes and aspirations match reality. When that happens, it's a religious experience. It's a beautiful thing. It feels perfect. But when the opposite happens or threatens to happen, we are hit with disorientation, despair, and at times paralysis. The ground moves beneath us. Our worldview is shaken. I grew up with the privilege to believe in America and its possibility. I grew up benefiting from the best our country has to offer, exposed to its lingering and still unexposed to its lingering and active systems of oppression. I know that for many in our country and many on this call, there are no illusions like this, no naivete, no surprise in seeing just how close this election was, either in 2016 or this year. Some of you here I know are wiser than I have been, have experienced the brokenness of this country, clearly in your life or your ancestors' lives, that America has never been what they taught me in school. You may have been frustrated, angry even, at the ignorance of those with privilege who have only recently begun to understand what has been clear for so long. We, with privilege, have a lot to learn from those who had to struggle with their country their entire life. We have a lot to learn about emotional resiliency by not tying our joy and our hope to a world prone to heartbreak and meanness and injustice. This is not a privileged person problem alone. It is also a Unitarian Universalist problem because our theology is steeped in this privileged belief about progress. Yes, so many of us are happy that Biden won, but it was not a domination of progressive values across this country. A lot of good people lost election. We can't can't celebrate just because of that. We have to understand that the belief in progress is in some ways an idolatry. It reflects a belief in the inherent progress here on earth, which if we are not privileged is a hard sell, especially for those who have tremendous suffered for generations. The progressive theology that so many of us hold reflects a belief in the goodness of people, a hard sell for those of us who have in this world, in this country, who have suffered time and time again people whose ancestors were enslaved, people who have been in prison, incarcerated, deported. The ideas of progress and human goodness are powerful because they make Unitarian Universalists and those religious progressives feel safe and comforted. Things will be okay, we tell ourselves. We help, we understand the world. Helen Keller once said that safety is mostly a superstition. It is. It is. And our faith needs a firmer foundation, a way not to feel so emotionally tied up and broken or overwhelmed when the world does not meet our expectations. If there's anything we should learn from the last four years, it's that democracy is fragile. The human heart is corruptible. The world is not safe, nor is progress guaranteed. An election result that many cheered yesterday does not change any of that. We are always on this razor's edge. So what do we do? The solution, of course, is not to give up on this world. It's not to say I can't handle this stress. I want to stop believing in progress or stop working for change. We know it is possible, this world we believe in. We just have to know it isn't guaranteed. I actually think that religious conservatives have something to teach us here. For many of them, their theology begins in a very different place than the more optimistic Unitarian Universalist theology. This religious conservatism doesn't assume that people are inherently good or that goodness will inherently win out. They talk about sin and the fall of humanity, but also about biblical stories about corrupt leaders of Israel, idolatries at the golden calf. Even the execution of Jesus and his disciples was a clear and decisive victory on earth for an oppressive government over a wise and beloved man who people loved. There are no illusions there in that kind of theology of some divinely inspired progress. There's realism. The knowledge that the road is long and it's hard and history is undoubtedly full of suffering, but neither does it lack hope. Neither does it believe we are powerless. The world is still worth fighting for. If we are to be in this struggle without despairing, we need to recognize and truly understand that they, we are guaranteed nothing. And that when all else is equal, power wins out, which is rarely wedded to justice. Our struggle becomes not a march towards victory, but an act of rebellion against a world that is stacked against us. It becomes an act of courage to believe and hope for justice, even though history repeats itself even though tyrants don't always fall. If we truly embrace what we are up against, our defeats won't seem so devastating. We won't stay late at night and wonder how this could happen, poised on the edge of victory, triumph, and crippling despair. We will know why, because the world and its people are what they are. They are susceptible both to great beauty and love, but also great illusion and cruelty and self-interest. Now that we know the results of this election, we can let ourselves breathe. We can feel good that so many of us worked hard to get out the vote, to register people who had been suppressed, who had been disadvantaged. That is a huge triumph for democracy, for our country, for the world, for humanity. Justice won a lot of victories this week, but it lost some too. So this work of liberation continues. We know this is not the end of fake news or white supremacy or voter suppression, and this will not be the last close or divisive election. Donald Trump will not be the last person to be elected to office that seems to so debase the office that he holds. But this year, you have fought the good fight. Here in this congregation, we have planted seeds that the next generation will harvest. You have sided with love and justice in the time that you have been given. The time you have graced the world with your body. And that is all we can do. Friends, the work is immense. The world and the people will be what they are but there is always reasons for hope. Not because victory is guaranteed, but because we know it is possible. And so we continue, we fight, we organize, we believe, always together, always hoping. May it be so now and in the many years to come, amen.
0: Here ends our reflection from Sunday. Uh, and so today we are joined by the Reverend Schuyler Vogel who delivered this reflection on November 8th, 2020. Reverend Schuyler, thank you for being here today. First of all, there's a lot of things that stand out to me in this message. I think about these themes of hope uh, and I think about uh, the images, the videos that came out of people dancing and celebrating. Uh, this uh, Biden victory over these past few days and week. Uh, lots, of, lots of these images of people celebrating. So how do we, how do we have hope uh, in this time of transition still we have till January 20, this lame duck period, but you know we just have still this uncertainty and there's still so many concerns about big issues uh, that we're worried might not get fully addressed. How do we still have hope that kind of calls us to action?
1: Thanks, Ember. Yes, there, I think we can start by saying that there is a lot to be hopeful for. Certainly the election results were mixed for those of us who hold progressive religious values, progressive religious values that that teach us about human dignity, that, that teach us about taking care of uh, our society and the people who are vulnerable in it. Um, there were mixed results. Obviously, um, we look and we see a lot of progressive candidates who lost um, a lot of progressive uh, ballot initiatives that, that lost, but there's also a lot of really positive things that happened, even in states like Florida, where those on the left feel, I think, fairly disappointed by the presidential results uh, and by several other elections there. Um, you know, They passed a, a, a minimum wage law. There, are, There are other examples like that all over the country that there are real reasons to hope, even beyond the presidential election, which should not be of course understated as well. There's, there's a lot of real reasons to be hopeful that are not just based on uh, wish fulfillment that aren't just us wanting to feel good and uh, knowing we wanna feel good and kind of manufacturing hope out of out of a hopeless place, but, but real reason for hope. So I think I, I would say that like that's number one. Number two, I would say that it's really important to celebrate when there are reasons to celebrate these last four years have been really hard for, for a lot of us religious progressives. Um, we, have, we have seen many of the values that we hold dear, not just undermined, but, um, but sort of systematically denigrated in a way that felt malicious and cruel, that was full of mockery and spite. And, and for, for those people who, who love this country and love the values that religious progressive love, it's not, just, it's not just because we are a certain group of people, it's because we care about we care about this country and we care about its, its future. Um, it's not about just our own personal life, right? Our taxes, worrying about our taxes going up or down. It's not just because we worry about our property values going up or down. It's because we really, we, we, we love this place. Um, and so when, when this place that we love and when the values that we hold dear do win we we should take a moment to acknowledge that and let that sink in because it won't always be the case right we have there's been a lot of losses this last year last four years and uh, if we can't celebrate the wins then it's very hard to keep the fight going because there's obviously a lot still to do but we need to be able to rest with the wins and enjoy them so they can though that high can keep us going into the future
0: Definitely. I mean, I think that's really great advice to also look at these victories on the local and state levels that uh, that, that community organizing and that local organizing really can pay off and uh, helping us really deliver on on some some more hope uh, that those, those small uh, races, votes, ballots, uh, that those can make a big difference uh, and that it's important for us to stay active on those local levels. So I think that's definitely an area that delivers hope and that calls us to still Feel hopeful in keeping working on uh, on our local level,
1: and that's uh, and that's just going to be more and more important. And I think it gives us hope because those are races that we can control in in some part, right? It's uh, we can't we can't control what the presidential election is doing at least on like a, a major way, but but next year here in New York we'll have significant local elections. Uh, Fourth Universal is hosted a uh, along with the JCC and Faith in New York. Uh, four years not four years ago two years ago well sometime recently uh, the last city council race we hosted a justice forum where we we asked the candidates what they thought about the values that we hold right of religious progressives and uh, we helped push the the conversation in a different direction so there's lots to do and i think that is empowering right Mm -hmm. to be able to feel like you're actually exerting control over our elected officials is empowering and that's what we do in local elections
0: right definitely I know, I don't know whether it was a meme or whether it was, you know, true news, but you know, the word was that uh, once the news came in of Biden's victory, that people were getting called into the restaurants uh, to work because suddenly the brunch reservations were going up. Uh, You know, so um, lots of people have maybe spent time in this last four years, uh, maybe talking about people who held up signs that said, if Hillary had won, I'd, I'd be at brunch uh and you know there's there's some folks that worry that maybe there's there's a complacency that will come with uh what people see as this victory how do we how do we not get complacent Uh, how do we not uh give up the fight to only be at brunch all the time
1: it's so important to to uh not always be at brunch brunch is obviously a delightful thing a lot of new yorkers love that Uh, a lot of progressives love that but I think we, we don't we don't lose focus on why we are doing this, right? So as religious progressives, as Unitarian Universalists, we are not in it for the political party. You know, if we're Democrats, we're not. We don't, we don't take our, our lead from the Democratic Party. We don't take our lead from the politicians or our elected officials. And we take our lead from our faith tradition, um, our sense of conscience, that comes out of ourselves, um, which our, our Unitarian Universalist faith encourages and says and wants to say, trust yourself. You are free, you are wise. Uh, you can live an introspective, thoughtful, hope, love-filled life. And from that life come a wisdom that allows you to, to change the world and change yourself. That is the grounding that, that uh, we hold when we get involved in politics. Um, we're not a political organization, we're a religious one and although there's lots of overlap there, the the inspiration for us to, to sit back and have brunch and not work to change the world comes for me, the people who do that are people who, who are focused on the political alone. They're not focused on the core values underneath. And the core values underneath are clear with us that, that this wasn't a resounding victory, right? Uh, if we're looking at a world that is, it's what the world is it's 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 there's it's not going to be fixed just because joe biden becomes president joe biden is a thoroughly an establishment candidate that's not necessarily a bad thing depending on who you are but so much of the world inequality so much of the injustice the issues with climate change the issue with police brutality none of that is going away and so if you care about the values uh that are unitarian universalist values, and you care about the values that I think, in large part, push back against Donald Trump. You will see, in a very logical way, that none of that fight is over. Um, the president elect will need progressive support to to enforce some of these necessary reforms and and uh, and restructuring of our society. And he may need to be pushed by um, by the left and the religious left who helped get him elected, um, whether that is from partisan work or just from driving out turnout, right? Our congregation sent out 125,000 postcards urging people to vote and register in in areas that have been voter suppressed. And those people came out in record numbers and they voted in record numbers for progressive candidates. And there's accountability that has to happen there, um, but there also has to be follow-up. And so our follow-up as religious progressives has to be to hold our elected officials accountable and to keep doing the work because it's far from over. Um, we saw we saw non-progressive candidates win across the board. New York State lost a lot of progressives, um, a lot of moderates, um, and uh, there's tons of work to do.
0: Well, uh, Reverend Schuyler, thank you for joining us today and reflecting on uh, what you know, it feels like a very uh, big message delivered uh, as it was in the wake of, of the election. So thank you for for joining us today. And thank you all for listening to this inaugural Getting the Message uh, podcast.
1: Thank you, Amber. Thank you all.